following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, October 8th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Do me a big favor if you would. I'm, I'm, my name is Raymond, for those who don't know me. I'm one of the pastors here. But take out your Bibles. We'll, we'll pick up right where we left off in Galatians. And in fact, we're going we're gonna to go back a little bit now. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, man, I know they take their time going through books of the Bible here, but, but they're going backward. This is, getting, this is getting a little bit crazy. We're actually going to be in, in verses 13 through 18 this morning. In all honesty, it's going to be more 13 through 15. I'm actually going to start in verse 1. I'm just going to read verse 1 and then skip to verse 13. I figured I shouldn't put verse 1 up there because then you'd really get scared, you know? So we put 13. We'll, we'll, we'll start there. I'll pray for us in just a minute, and then we'll get started. Now, everybody's sitting in the back today. Is that, is that like a, that's like a thing, huh? Okay, all right, all right. I'll just come to you then. So open up your Bibles, Galatians 5, 13 through 18. Let me pray, and then I'll read that for us. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together today. Help us to, to just hear your voice. You bring us together like this so that you can speak to us and so that your word can come to our hearts and really make a difference. Help us to see Jesus this morning in a way that, that changes us. Help us to, to not only understand what the Bible is saying, but, but to really, really let it in, let it shape us. And we trust that you'll do all of that by your spirit. And we ask this in, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not let your freedom, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But... If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Lord, help us to, to really understand what that means. We're not under the law. Help us to really, again, hear what you're saying through your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's a saying, and the, the first service helped me with this. My parents are Jamaican, so I never know if a saying is, is like Jamaican or if it's more widespread than that. But they told me that this is more widespread. So you can, you can help me finish this. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. See, that's, that's like a way of saying sometimes you escape one situation that's really bad, but only to find yourself in a place that might be worse. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. So somebody maybe has done this experiment and they figured it's better to be in the frying pan. I don't know, maybe that's what they think. But that's the idea. So I, what I want to do is I want to use that saying, though, to kind of launch off into another idea that's not exactly the same, but it's kind of similar. Sometimes you and I 
can try so hard to avoid one problem or to escape one problem that we don't realize we're launching ourselves into another problem that may be just as worse or at least maybe it might even be worse. It might be just as bad, could be worse. But we, we try so hard to avoid one thing that we end up even being oblivious to the fact that we're going into something else that's, that's probably just as bad. And the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Galatians, he gets to chapter 5, and it's clear that he understands that could happen to the people reading this letter. He's been spending most of his time in the book of Galatians addressing one problem, what we call legalism. This idea that it is, it is all on us. You and I must take God's law and we must keep it so well that we finally get to the place where he looks at us and says, okay, now you've finally done enough. You've done it well enough. I accept you. You are justified in my sight. As your judge, God says, as your judge, I pronounce upon you that you, you are clear. You have the righteousness that I require for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. You are justified. And legalism says that we must personally earn that judgment from God. We must keep his rules and his law well enough to get to that place. And Paul has been attacking and confronting that idea all throughout this letter. But he realizes that as he does that, it's possible for the church to fall into a twin error that we'll call lawlessness. And so he says to them in verse 13 right here, now, yes, you are free. You're called to freedom, brothers, only watch out. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This, this is so important to God that, that he doesn't just ask Paul to say this to Gentiles. He, you, Peter says the same thing. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, flip in your Bible. You're going to flip a lot today. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, will say pretty much the exact same thing. Peter says there, live as free people. Live as people who are free, however, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but rather living as servants of God. Do you see that? So this idea of freedom, when you have proclaimed Christian freedom, true gospel freedom, as boldly and as accurately as it needs to be proclaimed, you always run the risk that someone who hears it is going to believe that they're so free that they no longer have to be concerned about anything that looks or sounds like a command. Paul understood that that there was a tendency for people hearing the message of freedom to move in the direction of lawlessness, and he's going to attempt now to protect the church from both of those errors. So with the rest of our time, that's what I want to do. I, I want, if you'll let me use that, that whole metaphor again, I want to talk a little bit about the, the frying pan of legalism, the fire of lawlessness, and then what does is, what is true gospel freedom look like? What should that look like in our lives today? All right, so first... Legalism. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Christ did set you free. And he did that. He went through everything he went through, coming to, to this earth, suffering as a human being, dying on the cross, rising from the dead. He did all of that so that after he had set you free, your life from that point would be a life of freedom. It is for freedom that he set you free. And yet, 
the Galatians who had begun to believe this message and who were thriving under it came across a problem that you and I still come across today. Some other voice entered the picture. I can't tell you as pastors how much we, uh, we do not like this when this happens. Here is someone believing the truth, thriving as a believer, following Christ, and then all of a sudden, some other voice comes with a different message to bring them back into bondage. This is exactly what was happening in the Galatian churches. There were some, some religious persons, legalistic persons who came in and said, you know what, what Jesus did for you when He died for your sins, when He rose from the grave, when He lived perfectly before He went to the cross, that was important. That was even necessary on some level, but it just wasn't enough. This is what legalism says. What Jesus did for you is not enough. There is a part of God's law that you have to keep well enough on your own. And for them, they said that part that, that we had to keep well enough on our own was circumcision. Look at that. Verse 2, but Paul says to them, look, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Do you all see that in your Bible? He will be of, everybody, no advantage to you. Now, whether we're talking about circumcision here or any other thing that some legalistic person presents, it's all the same. Sometimes it's not circumcision, but somebody will say, Jesus has done many wonderful things for you that are important and even necessary, but you have to make sure that when you gather as a church, you, you do it on the right day of the week, or, or God does not accept you and your worship. You, you, you have to make sure that if you have any habits in your life that, you know, like I, I still bite my nails. I, I can't stand that I still bite my nails. I, I go through all these, sometimes I'm doing well, sometimes I get back to it. It's terrible, right? But, but God's not going to look at me and say, well, yeah, you trusted in Jesus, but, but, you know, you still bite your nails. Or, or someone says, you know, oh, but you, you, your habit, you smoke cigarettes, you know, you, you, you've got a struggle there and you... you and so some of you are feeling encouraged. You're like, wait a minute, if I, I can still make it into heaven if I smoke cigarettes? I mean, sure, you just get there a little faster, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but what, whatever, whatever this thing is that, that legalism says you all of a sudden have to do on your own, that weight is something as, as people who believe in Christ, we're not supposed to live under. God wants to free us from that. In fact, Christ has freed us from that. We are no longer under the burden of having to keep God's law so well and so perfectly that all of a sudden that is the way we seek to be made right or justified before Him. Look at the way Paul says it. If, if you accept circumcision, verse 2, Christ will be of no advantage to you. you. You cannot put most of your confidence in Jesus and what He has done for you and then a little bit of confidence in yourself and how well you keep this one part of God's law. If you do that, the Bible says you have now put yourself in a place where it is all up to you. Look at verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated now to keep the whole law. You will either trust Jesus completely and say what he did for me is enough and God accepts me on the basis of what he did, or you will say, I think I have a shot. I think I'm good enough to keep God's law myself. 
Those are your options. Now, which one of those do you want to take? I mean, you might think of yourself as a, a somewhat decent and good person, but are you that good? No advantage. You don't have the opportunity to benefit from anything Jesus did to save His people if you try to put any confidence in yourself. I'm just going to go with Jesus on this one. Yeah? You are severed from Christ, verse 4, who seek to be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. And so Paul hammers this home, and he says, look, don't let anybody bring you back under the weight of feeling like you have to keep this law perfectly yourself. Don't let anybody tell you that. No, Christ has set you free from that. Verse 18 says it this way. You are now led by the Spirit, and as a result, you are not under the law. You are not under the law in the sense that you have to keep it yourself to be accepted by God. But, but some Christians, escaping that frying pan of legalism, jumped right into the fire of lawlessness. I'm not under the law, the Bible says. It says it repeatedly. You read Romans chapter 6 and 7, you read Galatians 5, we are not under the law in this sense, but so many Christians today seem to mistake that and, and, and mistake that for the idea that we're no, longer, uh, we're no longer under any obligation to even obey God. We're, we're so free from the law that if God speaks to us, even in the New Testament by way of command, we don't have to pay attention to it. We're free in Christ. God already accepts me. He already accepts me in Christ. He's forgiven me for everything, past, present, future. So, so where legalism tends to say what Jesus did for you is not enough, lawlessness tends to say what you do doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Sin, do what God asks, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Either way, you're going to be good, you end up in the same place. Now look at what the Apostle Paul says here. He says in verse 13, you were called to freedom, but don't use that freedom the wrong way. Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh. How is it that you and I have gotten to the place where we have been deceived into thinking that when God speaks to us and, and commands us to do certain things or not do other things, 1,050 times in the Bible by one person's count, God speaks by way of command in the New Testament. Do you, do you think he, he doesn't want us to pay attention to any of those? You think it really doesn't matter to him whether or not we obey? Is that your picture of freedom in Christ, gospel freedom? Here's what I've discovered as, as not just a Christian trying to live this life for 20 years, but here's what I've discovered as a pastor in speaking to others. And one of the reasons we're taking time to talk about this as a church is because this is, this is a problem not just in the world in general, but in our own church. Somehow, some of us have gotten this idea that because we are free in Christ, gospel freedom and no longer being under the law means that we are free from any concern for godliness. We're free in the sense that we don't even have to pay attention anymore to personal holiness and how we live our lives. In fact, in talking with certain people, here's what I've gathered. Some of us actually believe that if we make too much of an effort to be good, 
if we make too much of a sincere effort to actually obey what God tells us to obey, that somehow we're going opposite of God's grace and God's Spirit. Somehow, the Spirit-inspired record of how God wants us to live, we have reduced to some kind of law that we are no longer under. And so we just kind of develop our own idea of what it means to love people, and that's all we focus on, our own concept of what that means. And that is our picture of freedom. And here's how that tends to play out in real life. So God gives us a command. Flip in your Bible, next book over, Ephesians chapter 4. There's just, just a couple of examples here. Ephesians 4, verse 29. God gives a command here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such, or only that kind of talk that is good for building up, that fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So God has something to say in the Bible about how we ought to use our mouths, our words, how we are to, are to speak in a way of godliness. And we, we, it's like, you know, like when we have a bunch of flies in our house, you get a fly swatter and some of us are like, you know, we're walking around with this fly swatter and every time we see a command, and you know, I'm free in Christ, get that command out of here. You know, just poised and ready. So God says here, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And you know how this happens, right? You, you're, you know you shouldn't say it. The Holy Spirit has kind of let you know you should not say this. But for whatever reason, if you're like me, here's, here's how it happens for me. I'm, I'm in this setting and, and I'm, I'm going to say this and it might come across as funny. You probably shouldn't say it, but you, it comes out anyway. And you can notice right away it has an adverse effect on those around you. They feel weird, they feel ashamed, they feel defiled. There's just something, right? It, or they, they feel like they have permission to repeat it themselves. Corrupting talk. Right? Maybe you've been guilty of that as well. Corrupting talk. God says, you might think about it, but don't let it come out of your mouth. Look, look at chapter 5. Verse 3, sexual immorality and all impurity, covetousness, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. See, crude joking, I've been guilty of this as well. You just think it's going to be funny, people are going to like it. Crude joking, right? The Bible says that's out of place in the church. It shouldn't exist among us, but it does. Not just because we happen to slip into it at times. I'm talking about something much worse than that. I'm, I'm talking about the idea that because we believe freedom means that we can just say whatever we want. That we can now allow all manner of corrupting talk to come out of our mouths. I, I cannot tell you how often I am around Christians, even in a group of Christians, and and we are commonly using words that are recognized to be swear words or curse words. Foul language. And if you, if you make an attempt to confront that, you are immediately swatted as a legalist. 
you are immediately the one who is denounced as, how dare you come and take away my freedom? Well, what, what is this you're calling freedom? How is it that your understanding of gospel freedom is the idea that you're free to continue doing everything that you did even when you were dominated by the flesh and not led by the Spirit? Why is that gospel freedom? No, gospel freedom is not the freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want, no matter what it does to other people or what God thinks about it. It is the freedom to be who He created us to be in the first place. And God clearly says here that that includes not speaking in certain ways, but rather speaking in others that are godly. Do you all see that? Don't get mad at me. This is not my idea. Some of you are looking at, looking at me like I'm, I'm, you know, like my kids. Dad, you're ruining our fun. Right? It's not my real aim here, but I, I really want you to be truly free. And this true gospel freedom is not one, no, it, it, it doesn't, it's not the frying pan of legalism. It doesn't bring us back under the weight and the burden of having to earn our, our acceptance from God. But it doesn't throw out God's law either. It doesn't tell us to ignore God's law or to ignore what He commands. And if, if you find yourself doing that, and, and, and what I'm saying is describing you or is characteristic of you, you ought to be able to recognize that you're moving in the wrong direction. The grace of God does not send us down this path of lawlessness and looseness of speech and other ways of living. I remember one day I, was, I, was, I just came to Richmond and I had to pick up a friend of mine over at the airport at, at Newport News. And I had no idea where that was, but someone told me it was near Virginia Beach. So clearly, if you're going to the beach from here, you have to go east, right? It's the beach. Anyone with a shred of common sense would have known that right away. But I allowed another voice to enter the picture. And one of my coaches said, yeah, just, just hop on 64 West, take you about an hour. I said, okay, 64 West, it is. And I got on 64 West drove for, I mean, who drives for 90 minutes in the wrong direction without seeing a sign to where they're, they're supposed to be going? M me. I'll save you the suspense. Me. <laughs> I, I mean, it doesn't, there's no excuse for that. Why, why would you go that far in the wrong direction? I'm Oilville, Waynesboro. I'm like, man, I've never heard of these places. Where am I? Where's Newport News? Right? And so, so anyway, long story short, I got a terrible speeding ticket that way, trying to come back the other way anyway, but, but I'm pretty sure it's in here. You're not supposed to speed either. You're not, you're not supposed to break the law. I'll, I'll leave you alone with that one for, for this morning. But anyway, I, I should have known I was going in the wrong direction. And listen, if, if, if you are finding yourself believing to be on the right path of gospel freedom, and yet you find yourself having less and less of a concern for godliness, holiness, pure speech, pure conduct, if you have less and less of a concern for these things, I promise you, you're going the exact opposite direction. I promise you. I do not say that to unnecessarily condemn you. I'm just telling you, turn around now. The grace of God, flip over to Titus, keep going. The grace of God is not what is sending you in that direction. The grace of God, Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. 
training us to do what? To increasingly go in the direction that God defines as godliness? No, it says what? Training us to renounce ungodliness. To renounce worldly passions. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It goes on to say that Jesus actually died for this. The Bible says that we're waiting for the return and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself, that's the cross, gave Himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people of His own possession who are zealous for good works. How is it that you and I have begun to believe that the grace of God sends us in the other direction and plunges us into ungodliness, into a lack of concern for how we speak? How is it that I find so many Christians, even, even perhaps among us, who think that it is okay to get drunk over and over and over again as if the Holy Spirit were not in us? And to call that gospel freedom. That's not freedom at all. Just like the, the gospel that these people brought, saying that this legalistic thing, you have to do this, that was no gospel at all. I am telling you, this is no freedom at all. Now, Jesus really sets us free on the inside. See, and we, we have made the mistake, look at, look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. Because we have rightly understood from the Bible that the grace of God and the law of God are opposed to each other at one particular point. If we seek to be justified by the law, we are going opposite of God's grace. Look at verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from, everybody? Grace. So if I am seeking to use the law as my way to be justified or accepted by God, I'm going opposite, in, uh, opposite of God's grace. Those two are at odds at that point in which one I trust to make myself acceptable to God. They are opposite and opposed to each other there. But from that point on, as God begins to instruct us concerning how we ought to live, as He begins to help us along the path of godliness, the grace of God and the law of God are not opposed to each other. They are not opposed to each other. In fact, look at, look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. What does true gospel freedom look, look like? When Jesus really frees us from both of these errors, the frying pan of, of legalism, the, the, the fire of lawlessness, when He begins to call us and, and send us along the true path of gospel freedom, what does it look like? Verse 14. Or actually, verse 13 at the end. Don't use your, your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love, serve one another. That's how you know you're going in the right direction. That's how you know you're, you're increasingly being set free. When you find yourself increasingly through love, serving others. See, see when we as a church become more free like that, when we become freer, we won't have to beg so much for people to volunteer to serve one another when we gather. That that would be a real increase in gospel freedom. Through love, don't just come here for what you can get. Through love, serve one another. True freedom. True freedom.
It doesn't put us back under the weight of the law so that we have to keep it ourselves. It doesn't dismiss the law and tell us to ignore what God commands. But, but watch this. True freedom, true gospel freedom actually leads us to the place where by the power of the Spirit, we increasingly fulfill the law. Now, don't, don't stone me as a heretic yet. I am not saying that you and I fulfill the law in the way that Jesus does. I'm not saying we fulfill the law by keeping it perfectly so that we can be acceptable to God. I'm just saying what the Bible says in lots of places, and you would not even believe it if I didn't show it to you, so that's what I'm going to do. Right here, verse 14 again. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see that? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul expounds upon this teaching in Romans chapter 13. Flip there. Romans chapter 13, just to the left a few books. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Watch what the Apostle Paul says. He says there, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has what? See, I told you I'm not making this up. Let's read it again. Because I understand this contradicts your religion. But I want you to, to let the Bible offend your religion for just a moment. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has done what? Fulfill the law. There is a sense in which when you love another, you are fulfilling the law. Which he, he goes on to say, for the commandments, here's the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You and I cannot fulfill the law by, by keeping it so perfectly that we earn our acceptance or justification from God. But there is a way in which the Holy Spirit in us leads us to increasingly fulfill the law through the way that we serve others in love. Are you all with me on that? So here's how I'll put it to you. Just as God sent His Son into the world to fulfill the law for us by perfectly keeping it, so He has sent His Spirit into our hearts to fulfill the law in us. We do not despise the law. We do not ignore the law. We do not dismiss the law. We do not reject the law. The Christian has a new relationship to the law now through the Spirit. Whereas before, Romans chapter 7 says that sin, the flesh on the inside of us, took God's law and twisted it into an opportunity to tempt us to sin. The law came to me, sin sprang to life, and through the commandment put me to death. It, it twisted God's good commandment into nothing more than a temptation and an opportunity for me to sin. But now the Spirit of God lives in you, and when the Spirit of God sees that law, it takes it as an opportunity to spur you on toward loving service to others. We have a new relationship to God's law. It is not one of ignoring it. It is certainly not one of dismissing everything he says by way of command. 
we are now by the Spirit increasingly fulfilling the law of love. And the only way this is possible for us is because of Jesus. Precisely because you and I are so prone to bounce between these, these twin errors. To go between these, uh, these imposters of gospel freedom. It was Tertullian, a North African uh, church father and bishop from, from Carthage over in the second century A.D. Tertullian famously said once, just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so it seems that the true gospel is always crucified between these two thieves, these two errors of legalism and lawlessness. And precisely because you and I are always bouncing between those two, Jesus had to be fixed on a cross, fixed on a cross so that we, we could look at him paying the penalty for our waywardness, whether legalism or lawlessness, that we could look at the Son of God who walked in true gospel freedom and made it possible for us to do the same through faith in him. And it is that Jesus who calls you today. He calls you today either to come to him for the very first time, for the forgiveness of your sin and for a share in the, in the freedom that we now enjoy. Or He calls you for the thousandth time to be rid of these imposters and to walk in true gospel freedom with Him. Friends, do not dismiss what Jesus is saying here. I, I am telling you, you can read Romans chapter 13, 8 through 10. You can read James chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. You can read Matthew chapter 22, Jesus Himself, verse 36 through 40. All of it is saying the same thing. The law of God is summed up in this command to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love him with all of our heart. And Jesus, by his spirit, increasingly does that in us when we trust him, when we receive him. Would you do that this morning? Close your eyes for me real quick. Is there anyone in here who walked in and, and you have never received Jesus this way? At best, you have a form of religion that requires you to be good. And you're trying your best and you have a mixed record of, of doing well at times and doing poorly at times. But deep down in your heart, you are, are banking on the fact that one day you will be good enough for God to accept you. You're steeped in legalism and you have not seen who Jesus is for you. I am telling you that if you continue down that path, you have to keep God's entire law for yourself. And you cannot do it. Repent. Turn around. Receive Jesus Christ today. He has perfectly kept laws or perfectly kept God's law for you in your place. And then he offered his perfect life up for you on the cross. And God accepts you when you put your faith in him. If that's you and you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning and you're saying, I'm ready to, I'm ready to do that or I'm ready to hear more about what that means, just, just raise your hand. Nobody's really looking at you. I had everybody close their eyes this morning. Well, I'm looking at you, but raise your hand. And now the other, the other invitation comes to us. You know in your heart of hearts you have lost your concern for holiness and godly living. And, and I mean specifically, it is precisely your misunderstanding of gospel freedom that has put you in that place. And the Lord has come to you this morning to, to bring you a word which says, my son, my daughter, turn around. That voice is not mine. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Turn around. 
you are on your way to Waynesboro. You should be going toward Virginia Beach. Lord, I pray that you would help us. If that's you, raise your hand. If that second invitation was for you, raise your hand. All right. Yeah, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Lord, help us to avoid either one of these errors as as we rightly avoid the frying pan of legalism. Help us not to be content with the fire of lawlessness. Help us to see you crucified in between these errors so that we might truly have life and truly have freedom in your name. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.